A reading from the Song of Songs, chapters 5 and chapter 8. I slept, but my heart was awake. Listen, my beloved is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is wet with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. I put off my garment, how could I put it on again? I bathed my feet, how could I soil them? My beloved thrust his hand into the opening, and in my inmost being yearned for him. I rose to open to my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh upon the handles of the bolt. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned and was gone. My soul failed me when he spoke. I, I sought him, but did not find him. I called him, but he gave no answer. Making their rounds in the city, the sentinels found me. They beat me. They wounded me. They took away my mantle, those sentinels of the walls. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, tell him this. I'm faint with love. What is your beloved more than another beloved, O fairest among women? Where is your beloved more than another beloved, beloved that you thus adjure us? Who is that coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? Under the apple tree I awakened you. There your mother was in labor for you. There she who bore you was in labor. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is strong as death. Passion, fierce as the grave, its flashes are flashes of fire, a raging flame. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If one offered for love all the wealth of one's house, it would be utterly scorned. We have a little sister, and she has no breasts. What shall we do for our sister on the day when she is spoken for? If she is a wall, we will build upon her a battlement of silver. But if she is a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. I was a wall, and my breasts were like towers. Then I was in his eyes as one who brings peace. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Never uh, imagine that you get to read stuff like that aloud in church. So uh, anyway, so it's uh, here and it's the summer and usually um, when the weekend, when the weather is terrible, the way, same way it has been uh, this weekend with uh, 115 degrees, I think it was at five o'clock, um, I usually start to get pretty homesick. Um, and I really miss being back in Cleveland, um, enjoying the city in the summer and enjoying baseball, which I get to do again, I think, in about 12 days. Uh, but I remember there was one uh, particular day in the summer. I had uh, gone out to uh, an Indians game with my brother and my best friend, and it was a great game. They beat the Yankees. Uh, they won the game because somebody hit a... Uh, it hit a long line drive that bounced against the wall and the Yankees outfielder, I still remember this, like ran into the wall and like fell on the ground. And um, I'm so sorry that I think this was great, but it was the Yankees. And like we were all cheering and excited and the Indians won the game. And then uh, I was looking, I was like, hey, is he getting up? And he didn't get up and they brought an ambulance. He was fine, but it just, you know, if you're, if you're a baseball fan, you know what it's like. 
uh, to enjoy watching the Yankees suffer. So we then, after the game, we went to uh, this place uh, in Lakewood, Ohio, called uh, Harry Buffalo. Uh, shout out if you've ever been to Cleveland and you've ever been there. And uh, what is so great, and I don't know, I've never been to a Knights game. I don't know if Vegas will ever be like this with pro sports. But you, after an Indians game you, or, or a sports game, you go to any bar in the city, and they are just packed, usually with people who've also been to the game. So we were at Harry Buffalo. We were having a great time. It was about you know, maybe 1, 2 in the morning, and we were like, all right, well, might as well uh, go home. And uh, all three of us walked outside, and my car was gone. And first you start to panic, oh no, did somebody steal my car? And then you realize by the sign right by where you parked, all vehicles who are parked in this spot are subject to tow. And we had found out that uh, my car had been towed. It had been taken uh, to a place across town. So my brother, my best friend and I at two in the morning had to walk, uh, do a long, walk down Detroit Avenue after all the bars and restaurants and everything had been closed and the street was completely dark and I just have to say I was so thankful that I was not walking that way alone. Part of the reason I was thankful is uh, some guys, some questionable individuals pulled up, asked what was going on and asked if we needed a ride and I was so tired and I was like, okay, let's go. But my friend was like, dude, that's a very bad idea. (laughs) So we had to keep walking. But it was, it would have been even more terrifying if I was alone, but it was kind of terrifying enough to be out um, in a city that I didn't live in and uh, where it was almost completely dark and where I, um, I, I guess, misjudged, but my friend probably judged correctly, the <laughs> intentions of whoever was coming to pick us up. But I did uh, get, my, get my car, um, $115 later, um, dropped everybody off, and I survived. But I think about that night, when I think about what it must be like for people, one, who are literally living that existence. Many of them, um, when our doors were open, would come to worship with us, where they would have to be alone in the streets um, looking for just a place to stay. I at least had a, I had a goal when I was walking in the dark. Then I think about that night, too, when I think about other times where I've been walking in the dark. Maybe not with four or five beers in me, but and just trying to get my car back after a baseball game. But I think about times in my life where all the world just seems dark because of what I'm going through. And you find this all over. Uh, you find this all over spiritual literature. It's called the dark night of the soul. You see this in plenty of uh, of movies uh, where the there's some part where the main character is just lost or is going through a struggle where you don't know if they're going to bounce back from it but how many times in our lives do we face those dark nights where we're out from what's familiar where we're scared and even when people are around us We feel alone. 
You know, I may or may not know you, and I may or may not know your story. But I know there have probably been times in your life already where you've been walking in the dark. Maybe it was a breakup that you didn't see coming. Maybe it was a divorce that was so much nastier than you were allowed to pretend that it could be in front of your kids or in front of your friends. Maybe it was a diagnosis that you got that changed your life forever and you constantly wish and think back. You could go to before you knew about that disease. Maybe you experience depression and maybe days that are supposed to be joyful when people keep reminding you you have so much to be thankful for. You don't feel like getting up out of bed and even the most mundane tasks take everything out of you. Maybe you've walked that dark night because you've been dealing with an addiction. Maybe you feel completely powerless against a, a substance, or, or maybe in this town I have to say gambling, or whatever else it is where you just feel powerless and you know that it's ruined your life and is still ruining your life and you can't stop it. Maybe you've had that dark walk because you're new in town or you've lost your job and you're searching for a job and all of your future plans have been put on hold because you don't know if you will have enough money to pay your rent next month or this month. Maybe you've lost a loved one, a parent who you were so close with, a spouse who you had so many plans to uh, spend the future years with, maybe even a child. And you've walked through a darkness that is difficult to imagine and even more difficult to, to go through. And you try your best one step at a time, even though you feel like all you're doing is slogging the broken pieces of who you are from place to place. I probably don't have to say it four months into this pandemic, but sometimes I, I feel like as a society in the midst of the virus that we are taking a communal walk in the dark. And maybe some of us are like me that night after the Indians game going, hey, 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 let's get in the car over here. I don't care if it's safe or not. I'm just tired. Let's just keep, let's, let's just go. I don't care what happens, right? Maybe some of us are, are just scared and not knowing if we're going to make it to the end seems like as a society we're taking that walk in the dark too and what is so wonderful about this book song of songs is that unlike our own romantic comedies the drama in this love story is very real and very painful now, the Shulamite woman in chapter 5 of Song of Songs is, is in her house. She's getting ready to go to sleep, and she thinks that she hears her lover at the door, and she opens the door, and he's not there, and she is so consumed by love that she goes out looking for him in the streets. She calls him by name, but she can't find him. And then the people who are the sentinels or the guards of the city they find her and they beat her up and they abuse her. I'll let you uh, fill in the details of what it means that her shawl was torn. 
And so love always comes with darkness. Love always comes with risk. This story is so incredibly powerful because two things came into my mind when I thought about how the Shulamite woman must have felt. First, I was strangely comforted by this fact that even in Scripture, the ugliest part of human existence is seen. The people who were supposed to take care of this woman, the people who were supposed to help this woman, instead took advantage of her and abused her. Just lets me know that God sees it as well in the story of God's word. God sees it as well when people of color are abused, put in chokeholds, shot when they're unarmed, and otherwise abused by police officers who've taken an oath to defend their life. Even more painful is one who works for the church. See the story of so many people who are abused by those who wear this mantle and claim God's name and have abused children the ones they were supposed to lead and protect, they took advantage of. It's such a wonderful comfort that God sees that and that God can be present in those places for those people. But as comforting as that part of my realization about this story was, there's a part that is also discomforting. If we do follow so many commentators of this book of scripture, and we take this story to be what's called an allegory, meaning that it's only on the surface a story of these two young lovers, but when you look toward the deeper meaning, right, those of you who've uh, read uh, The Wizard of Oz, and maybe you know that it's about the 1896 uh, presidential election, right? Follow the yellow brick rule, road, the, the gold standard. Anyway, I'll share that with you later if you don't know that, right? In the same way, the Song of Songs is taken to be an allegory about humanity's relationship with God. And isn't there some truth here that sometimes we hear God as the one who calls us? God is the one who leads us. And then we go and we follow and God doesn't answer. And we look and we look and we look and we can't find God. And at times we find something much worse. And I, I hear this story so many times. One time somebody came into church and, and told me that, that God had led them to come to town here, but they were struggling so much. And that's the uh, most... Um, that's the most uh, literal that that story has come to me. But I've also seen it in so many of the patients that I serve in hospice. They had gotten their diagnosis and they were so full of faith that this could be beat or at least mitigated or they could make it to Christmas or they could make it to see their granddaughter's wedding. And the disease progressed far too much. And I've been asked so many times, why didn't God come through for me? Now, I have yet to find a good answer 
to help people who walk spiritually in the dark. And maybe that's because I am so aware that the church has terrible answers for people who go through things like this. Now, the church's answer for suffering usually goes like this, right? The reason that you're suffering is because you just love the wrong things. So what the church will tell you is that, well, you won't suffer as much if you get better priorities, right? There's a very famous preacher in Houston with a great haircut who will tell you that if you just love yourself and you, you love the plan that God has for you, everything will be okay. There are other churches that tell you, well, you know, if you just love God and you just read your Bible all the time and you just listen to the Holy Spirit and maybe if you just jump up and down and get really excited about God or you uh, incorporate a biblical way of life, then your suffering will stop. Maybe if you just, you know, get your life on track, then your suffering will 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 stop, right? If you if you just if you just listen to what God is really trying to tell you in your life, or um, and don't think that mainline churches like ours are exempt because we're constantly telling people to love you know these abstractions like like justice and and you know if we just all work to make the world a better place, then then less people will suffer and we can feel better about ourselves and all of this gets love exactly wrong. Man, the church knows absolutely nothing about love when it comes to human beings. Because here's the facts with love. Think of the stuff that you really love. How much choice do you have in the matter? I love baseball. And I have watched my favorite team get within a couple outs of winning the World Series twice, not to mention all the other times I'm not going to mention of bad things happening in the playoffs and a terrible baseball team of terrible people that play in the Bronx, right? I have suffered so much because of baseball, right? You, every time the Indians are out in the playoffs, I, I, I sprawl out on the floor. My family has seen this, and I lay there for about 20 minutes. It's terrible. I still love baseball. I want to break up with it. I am always saying to baseball, I wish I knew how to quit you, but I can't. That's a great line, by the way. I wish I knew how to quit you. You don't choose what you love. And you know, I'm thankful for this. Because honestly, sometimes I look at my wife and she says, sees the stupid things that I say and do, and she gets so mad. And I know if she had to choose whether to love me or not, right, if this was a decision that she had to wake up with every morning, she'd probably more often than not say no. Maybe many of your spouses feel the same way. Kids, I'm not even going to go there, <laughs> right? We don't choose love. Right? It's a great line where she says, I was asleep, but my heart was awake. Right? She just wanted to sleep in her bed, but her heart, which was so on fire with love, thought that she heard her lover, and, and she's up and awake and running out in the streets in the middle of the night in her underwear. That's what love does to you. It makes you run out into the streets in the middle of your night, in the middle of the night, in your underwear. 
right? That's what it leads you to do. That's what it means to have a heart that is awake. And we don't have any choice in the matter. That is why we suffer so much. There's no switch for it. We can't turn it off, right? I think God kind of knew that too with the Israelites when they started loving all these other gods. He was like, oh man, it's it's almost too late. I can't change this. But there's another switch that can't be flipped off. It's the switch of God's love for us. So if anybody else in the church is watching, I'm going to make a proposal. Instead of talking about what we should love or what the church should love or what people in the pews should love, whether it's a lifestyle choice or an ideology or whatever it is, let's talk more about who loves us. Let's talk more about who loves them. Let's talk about the God who went out in his underwear in the middle of the night to look for us. Really, and, and you can see it. Oh, we don't, we don't have a crucifix, but right? Isn't Jesus always in his underwear on the cross? He does that for a reason. God chases us. It's God who comes out of the magnificent spiritual palace or wherever God lives to come into this creation to look for us. You see it right there in Genesis. The first thing that God says to Adam and Eve after they've eaten the fruit, after they find out that they're naked, after they're hiding from God because God thinks that because they think that God is so mad at them, God's first words are not you're in big trouble, I'm so mad at you. This is this is over. You know, get your butts out of here. He says, "Where are you?" And that's the question that God's always asking. Sometimes God's the one calling, and we are not answering. And it is in the love that pursues us that we find the light that guides us, not away from, but through our suffering. We find that because God will go to any darkness in his underwear to be with us. In that place where God gets beat up, where God literally has his shawl torn, where God is mocked and humiliated, is a place called the cross. It's a place where God proclaims, while God is dying, that love is stronger than death, that passion is fiercer than the grave. And that the seal of God's love is printed on our hearts, though at times we can't see it. It, it happened in my own life not, not, uh, not more than about six months after this crazy night after an Indians game where my own story as I was graduating college was kind of unraveling and falling apart. My, my father was dying. I had lost so much of my passion for the things that I wanted to do in life. My relationships were kind of falling apart. And so I was, uh, I, I was way more intoxicated than I should have been, but I was just miserable. And I wasn't even at a party either. I did that by myself. 
and I was in the snow in my backyard in this tiny little town and I remember I was kind of alternating between crying and just kind of staring off and, and probably getting frostbite and I finally uttered a prayer and I said I'm done God just be here I'm done doing this my way just show me what your way is and that was the minute that God found me that God called my name and I finally answered he had been chasing me and chasing me and chasing me and I finally said here I am I'm not running away and so whenever you're in the dark I hope that these will be good batteries for your flashlight. The good news of Jesus, which has been set as a seal on your heart in the day you were baptized. Whenever you're in your underwear in the dark, hold still. It's not where you're calling to, but the one who's calling to you that will come and get you. And just because you're in the dark, it never means that you're alone. Amen.